Amen. Thank you to our worship team. Appreciate you guys so much. Amen. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to continue on in a, in a little bit of a detour from our Exodus series and, um, and continue to talk about Jesus. I like to talk about Jesus. I'm super into him. I don't know about you. I really love Jesus. And uh, I, I love to, to not only talk about him, but really declare who he is in, according to his word. And so many of the things that I'm going to share with you today are things that you already know, but things that need to be talked about, the things that we need to remind ourselves of ourselves of, excuse me. And, and if you were with us on Christmas Eve Eve, how many of you had a chance to join us for that? Wasn't that special? That was so cool. And some of you were able to join online. Um, that was awesome. We, we had uh, no, uh, no fires, I'm happy to say. John Bush put a big fire extinguisher under my, um, under my, my pew there. And, and uh, no, it was really a wonderful time as we had a candlelight service and we got to involve the children, which I think we have some children that are with us today in our family service. So we're glad that, that you're here as well. But um, just that, that opportunity to, to declare together Jesus, the light of the world. And, um, and it was a special time. So thank you all those of you that were able to be here. And thank you for those of you that, that weren't for some reason for being patient with us as we try to discern what God's leading us to do. We did something different. A lot of times we do Christmas Eve and we wanted to include more people. So we did Christmas Eve Eve and we're just trying to work it all out. So, um, so thank you for those of you that unfortunately weren't able to make it because of work uh, for being patient with us in the process of figuring out how we're to, to lead and, and to go on in this. So this morning I want to... Um, to get to Matthew chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles and you want to be ready for that, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, this is a very interesting um, passage of Scripture. It's one that I love to visit every year. And, um, and it's not one to overlook. But it's one to take a little bit of time to consider. And so I'm going to read this to you. And, and we'll talk about some of the things that we read in this particular chapter. So Matthew chapter 1. And this is the beginning of, of obviously, uh, Matthew's gospel, and it begins with the genealogy of Jesus. And it says, in the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of... By the way, if anyone's expecting, these are names for you. You're thinking about some of these things. We need to bring them back, you know? Okay, sorry, go on. Father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nahashon. And Nahashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam by the father of Abijah. And Abijah was the father of Asaph. And Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. And Joram was the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah was the father of Jotham. And Jotham was the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, well, he was the father of Amos. And Amos was the father of Josiah. And Josiah was the father of Jeconiah, and Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheliatil, and Sheliatil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor. 
And Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Methan, and Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Thank you very much. So all the generations from David to da- Abraham to David were 14 generations from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And, you know, I, I read it out loud um, to impress you with pronunciations and, and, and because it's the word of God, right? The word of God. And, and, you know, you've heard sermons about the genealogy and this sermon, this whole sermon is not about the genealogy, but I do want to take pause and bring attention to it because these are names and names matter. Wouldn't you agree? Names matter. And when we're looking at the Bible, these are not just names, but, but these are not censored names, and what I mean by that is we all, have, uh, we all have stories, we all have people in our families, um, generations, you know, now that you can do like DNA testing and stuff, you can figure out who you're connected to on down the line. Sometimes it's a little dangerous to do that because you're like, no way. Like you have delusions of grandeur, like your, your ancestor founded something great. Would you found, find out your ancestor's like a scoundrel or something like that? You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's these experiences that we have where we know that we've got um, people in our story that we're proud of people in our story that we're like, yeah, we don't like to mention uncle so-and-so. You know, hopefully I'm not that uncle or nor are you if you're a guy here in the room. But, but this is the reality. Amen? You guys all right? Okay. And, and when we're looking at this story, we're looking at, at people. And, um, and some of the names, and you again have heard it before, but I got to say it again. You know, some of the names that are mentioned in this really messy genealogy of Jesus are, are people like Jacob, right? Jacob. When we think of Jacob, we think of, of good things for sure. Um, but we also, if we look at his story, we think of one who stole his brother's birthright by deceiving his father. It was a pretty uh, elaborate scheme that he conducted, and that was part of the story. But that's not that scandalous until you get to someone like Tamar. And I'm going to go ahead and have you Google search that um, Tamar. What, but what, what her experience was was highly scandalous in her family and what she did to manipulate a situation in order to receive the blessing of God in her life. Uh, Rahab, um, she chose a scandalous profession. And, and she also um, saved the spies who were there to spy out the land. And she herself wasn't Jewish. And it leads us to another person who wasn't Jewish, who was Ruth, Right. Ruth wasn't so scandalous, but she was a little scandalous in that here she was a Gentile, and now she gets set up with an older guy who helps redeem her and give her a story and grafts her in. Ruth is a wonderful book of the Bible. But we read them a little bit um, sanitized, don't we? But when we really look at what's happening, it's like, wow, this is a little messy. Does anybody have any messy people in their life? You have... um, this woman in, that's referred to as Solomon's mom and the wife of Uriah. And why it's not mentioned that her name is Bathsheba, which we know that's her name, um, I think that the author is really trying to help us understand exactly who she is. That, that in a very scandalous situation, uh, David was in a place where he shouldn't be, and he ends up taking a wife eventually, of another man in order to have a child who is Solomon. And that stuff you read in the Bible, you're like, whoa, here's a guy who's 
after God's own heart, who does something incredibly calculated and sinful and falls into temptation. And there it is in the story, right? Like, again, wouldn't you want to just kind of leave that part out and say, come on, people be good. But it's right there. And then you get into the kings that are mentioned. You have Hezekiah, who was a good king, and he does right in the sight of the Lord. And then you have Ahaz, who when you read um, some of the, the accounts of Ahaz, and then you read what scholars say about him, one of the quotes that I read was that Ahaz was a bad king, and he was rotten to the core. Then you have Manasseh, right? Manasseh, who's known as Israel's worst king. Manasseh, who um, brought back after... Israel was gone, went through a time of reform, and, and one of the things that God really was so clear about was the worship of idols and, and not, have, not bringing paganism into the culture that, that he was creating. And so here you have a guy like Manasseh, who after it was cleaned up, was like, nah, bring it all in, and then he gets to rule and reign for like 50-some years. He was one of the, the most heinous, like really worst kings of Israel, which gives way to a, a good king, uh, a king named Josiah. Right? Josiah, who takes the, the throne at age eight. Can you imagine that? Like your king is eight years old. I think some of us are like, well, we'll try an eight-year-old. You know, We've had this guy and that guy and almost this person. We'll try an eight-year-old. But, but this, this eight-year-old who uh, had the, the anointing of, of God upon his life you know, and ends up being a righteous king, not a perfect king, none of them perfect, but very righteous. And so the point of this whole thing and, and, and realizing how real the Bible is and how it does speak to real things and how it does set the tone for, um, for Jesus, like everything is this culmination. It's like this anticipation. You're reading through the Old Testament. It's building up to discovering who Jesus is. You realize that Jesus comes into the world and the way that the, the gospel writers present him is through the backdrop of, of the background of who he was and what family that he came from. And so when you look at those with the shameful past, you look at those who were Jewish, those who were, who were Gentiles, those who were marginalized, those who were forgotten, you get this, this point that the gospel is for everybody. The gospel is not just for the, those with the right pedigree. The gospel is not just for those who are pretty good people and, and do pretty good things. The gospel is for the whole world. And so these names represent people in the world that God so loves. Um, these names also rep- represent something that we're all very aware of, which is the nature of humanity, right? That, that our brokenness, who um, we are as a result of sin entering into this world. And so the good news of the gospel and the Christmas story that we're continuing on in our exaltation of Jesus above all things is a reality that, that his life, his, his birth, his death, his resurrection all lead to redemption for all mankind. And, um, and so these names are significant. In fact, I think it would be important, honestly, for us just to take a moment. And as you think about people that are in your life, you know, as you think about like Names, right? Because I think we're living in a point in time where we're, we are very divided as a nation. Um, there comes disunity that even comes into the church, and we tend to put groups together, right? We have the good people and the bad people, the people that we like to be around and the people that we don't. Wouldn't you agree? Um, or we could say like the crazy wacko people and the really great people. And we would never put ourselves in the camp of like we're the crazy wacko people, but someone who doesn't like the views that we have call us that, right? And then this, this group calls that group that. So the point is this. We've had a tendency to generalize all people into groups. And, and 
what we see of the gospel is the gospel doesn't group people together. The gospel speaks of a God so loving a world, a humanity, individuals coming to redeem. And so what I think would be great for us and just practicality is, is to be able to take a moment and think about, think about some names, right? Some, and this is going to get dangerous. I'm just going to tell you right now. In fact, I just, I just read a, um, a great book from Francis Chan on unity, right? If you know Francis Chan, he's an author that I really enjoy. And uh, he writes about unity, and, and he writes in, 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 in something he didn't necessarily want for his own life, which is kind of weird that we have, but you have like a Christian celebrity, right? Someone who gets famous because of their teaching or whatever else. And so as one who is in the public light, he talks about um, reading some of his critics, you know, and, and he said that he was... Uh, reading what somebody said about him. And what that person said about him was um, a complete fabrication, just a total lie. In fact, he was saying how somehow he's grouped as like a prosperity preacher and then he's, he's grouped as somebody who advocates for the poor. He's like, I really can't be both, you know? I'm either, and they're saying all this stuff about me. And the point is this, is he read something, he goes, it was just a blatant lie and it really bothered him. And he sensed that the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him in that moment was, I want you to take all day and I want you to fast, and I want you to just pray blessing upon the one who's cursed you. I mean, come on. Doesn't that sound a lot like God? And, and you know, it, it would be enough just to say, you know, you apply scripture. Matthew tells you to bless those who curse you, and, and it would be enough just to do that. But you got to fast, too. you got to be hungry while you're doing it. The point I think that is so like beautiful about that and what he explained and what God had done in, in beginning to change his heart for people in that moment was that when we begin to starve our flesh, when we begin to not give our flesh what it wants, it, it allows our spirit to discern things in a much better way. And, and so to get to the point of application is that, that one, maybe there are those that, that we've grouped and we've just, they're the messed up ones that are over there. Or maybe there are those that we know, that we love, that are making choices that are similar to some that are, are in, this, in this genealogy. Some of these choices that are, 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 are very scandalous. And, and that we recall their names, right? That we, that we allow the Holy Spirit to bring their name to mind so that we can pray for them. So that we can begin to ask the Lord, hey, what would it look like? And give me opportunity to share the light of Christ with them. And so um, maybe throughout the time that I'm talking, if you're a note taker in that one part of your brain that wants to get distracted anyways, let it get distracted into names. And, and begin throughout the sermon to just jot people's names down. Maybe those that have been like enemies to you, that there's those that you can bless. Maybe there are those that are far off from you and far off from the Lord and almost to the point where it seems hopeless that as we enter into a new year that they become a running list of people that we're saying, God, no, you're all about the miraculous because you're Jesus and you can do anything. And so, um, yeah, let's do that. So now we jump into to Jesus and um, it, the... Genealogy goes from all of these names, and then it ends up with a name that's above all names. And for us, in the naming process, um, as Americans, in the moment in time that we live in, I do think that we, we try to name um, things and kids with significance, no doubt. But if we're honest, that a lot of times we name, um, parents will name their kids with a name that, that sounds good, right? Like, you, you, you find a name that's kind of popular, and you just make sure it doesn't rhyme with something nasty or, or that it would get made fun of or whatever else, right? And so you go through that laborious process of doing that. But in the Hebrew culture, names were a little bit different. 
Um, names represented something of, uh, of significance in that it was to define what the gift of God was in that child or it even spoke towards the destiny of that child. That's why often when you're reading the Bible, it's good to look up what the name of somebody meant. And so when we look at, at Jesus' name, if his is the name above all names, there, there was a moment where his dad got a clear message from an angel that his name was supposed to be something very specific, right? And it's the name Jesus. And we're going to look at, at three things, three names that are associated with Jesus. Um, first, his, his name, which would have been what people called him when he was walking around or as he was walking this earth, his mom would call him this. And, and then we have a title and then we have a prophetic, um, prophetic understanding of who he is. It defines his destiny and, and who he is within his humanity. Does that make sense? All right. And so, um, so the first thing is, is Jesus. The second name that he has is Christ, right? And Christ is not his last name. And, and some people might see it that way because it's two things. And I, and I meant it to be a little silly, but it's true that some people would think it's Jesus and Christ is his surname. But Christ is his distinction. And, and I'll talk about who he is in that. And then the third is what the angel says about him, which was prophesied like 700 years before, is that his name shall be called, does anyone know this one? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. I love that. Emmanuel, because it's, it's who he is. And it ties him to the Trinity. It ties him to the fact that he is God. Because the name Emmanuel means what? God with us. Not God around us or not God over us, but God with us. And that's hugely significant, especially in moments like we're facing in our world today. So the first name, Jesus, if you're, if you're jotting it down, um, the name literally means Yahweh is salvation. And that name Yahweh, do you remember any other time that, that you, you see Yahweh? It's a long uh, way around how, how we get to Yahweh, but it's the, this, um, specifically, if when we were studying uh, Exodus, there was a moment with the burning bush, and when the bush was burning and not being consumed, God shows up, and God comes on the scene, and he introduces himself to Moses, and that is the name that he uses. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my name. And so it's this, this understanding of, of this is God coming to earth. And the, the name Jesus literally means the Lord or Yahweh is salvation. So built right into his name is his destiny. Let's look at, at, at and continuing on in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together... She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the angel goes on to confirm that, um, that this is all happening to foretell or to, to fulfill what the scripture has written, that, that this is Jesus and his destiny to be God with us. But I thought this was pretty cool, and, and I think we can pass by this stuff pretty, pretty easily. But if you jump down to the 24th verse, This is a total side note, but if you do a study on Joseph and Joseph, 
like Joseph of the Old Testament and Joseph of the New Testament. It's really wild. Joseph, both their dads were named Jacob, right? They, they both like heard from God in dreams. That it, I'm just going to drop a little seed there. Just to maybe go and, and study that. It's pretty wild. Joseph and Joseph. But anyways, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took his wife, and he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And she called, and excuse me, and he called his name Jesus. You know, when I, I come back to the Christmas story and I read familiar passages, I, I think, what a huge privilege. We talk about Mary a lot, wouldn't you agree? Uh, wonderful. Mary should be spoken of a lot in Scripture. This woman that God chooses to be the, the, the carrier of his son. But Joseph was his dad. And, and Joseph got to name him. Naming is super significant privilege in the Bible. And so he does this. And he does this out of obedience and names his name Jesus. I did a little bit of research and I found out that um, Jesus was not like, he wasn't the only one named that. In fact, there would have been probably a lot of little boys that were named Jesus. It was a semi-common name and it was a strong name. It came off when spoken as a strong name. The next part of, of his distinction uh, as God with us. Let's look at Isaiah 7.14. We've already looked at some of these passages, but let them, let them just become burned in your memory so that you don't lose the realities of Christmas. Isaiah chapter 7 and 14. Isaiah says a lot about Jesus. But in this passage, he says specifically, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin will, con- uh, shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. I think that um, the, uh, the understanding of Emmanuel, as I already said, and it just really can't be understated. I'd like to just ask you to just engage for a minute and think about the times in your life. And, and what's really interesting is the times even before you said yes to Jesus when he said yes to you. Do you realize that he's, and, and maybe some of you are in the process of searching for him now, but, but do you realize that, that even before the foundations of the world, that God had a plan for your life? Can you really even get your head wrapped around that? I mean, have you heard it so many times that it's become normal? That's amazing. That, that before you were even formed in your, your mother's womb, that, that God knew you. The fact that he had thoughts towards you, as the psalmist says in 139, that, that they were thoughts that outnumbered the sands of the seashore. This is crazy. And that before you said yes to Jesus, he actually said yes to you. That can you think about times in your life, and I hear it in people's story, like, man, especially people who have like, like wild stories of life when they'll say, man, I should have been dead like 5,000 times, you know, and, and Jesus came in and rescued me, but you didn't know it was him. I mean, come on. I have a feeling that you're not awake, so just pretend. So it makes me feel better. I preach better. There, there are those times that, that um, you have to recall his faithfulness, and you have to, to not allow yourself to get sucked into the system of the world to realize you are a child of God, and you have God not just around you, but God with you. And the with you part, like there's a statement that I like to say and I like to hear, especially when I'm going through something. And when somebody that I care about or somebody that cares about me says this statement, they say, hey, man, I'm with you. I'm with you. That means something, don't you think? When somebody comes from a place of like, I'm just going to tell you what you should do and what you did probably led you to this point. Maybe it's a different posture that someone has. They might be well-meaning. They might be like really good advice givers. I call them like the keeper of the idea shop, right? 
And, and they're, like, they're like in full form and they're just ideas are coming right and left and you should have done this and you could do that and whatever else. That's a different feeling than somebody who says, hey, I'm with you. And the one who says, hey, I'm with you opens the door for you to engage if you want to. And even if you choose not to because you're not ready, you know they're with you. And when you are ready, they're the one you call and just say, hey, I'm feeling this. And they're like, yeah, I know. And, the, and it might be so much so that they're with you because they've been there before. If you've been there before, if you've suffered with certain things in your life, and you've been there before, and you, someone else is going through it, and you're with them, you know how to respond to them in a different way. Wouldn't you agree? And I, I had uh, just a, an opportunity to share with somebody in, in my neighborhood recently. And they were sharing something that was heavy in their heart. And I had been through what they had been through. And, and we had an opportunity to talk. And it was just different, right? It was different because it was, it, it was like, I want for you what I'm experiencing. But I know when I was experiencing what you were experiencing, I couldn't get it unless I went right to the source, right? And so I can't just download to you five simple steps to feel better or do better. I got to just take you to Jesus, who is also with you. And so when we think about that, um, it brings comfort to us. One, it puts a little check for us to learn how to be listeners, right? To learn how to be listeners. Pretty much, um, if you know something about something, you, you might be good at it being a talker. I mean, I, I can talk about stuff. And sometimes, uh, man, you can hear yourself talking, especially in a conversation. And you're like, dude, shut up, right? Like, you know it's just time to stop. But the, the, the fountain got turned on. But when we take pause and we're with people like Jesus is with us, we care enough to patiently listen to their story, to ask open-ended questions that help us to discover what's really going on. And we can close the idea shop. We can just be like, look, idea shop is closed right now. And now I'm with you. I'm with you. And we get that example most from Jesus. And, and what he says in Hebrews um, chapter 4, excuse me, what's said about him in Hebrews chapter 4 in verses 15 through 16 cannot be understated nor underestimated when we really understand it. Listen to what it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Come on. When you can sympathize with somebody's weakness, they feel it and they know it and you're with them. This is not pity. This is not like, oh, poor you. Oh, I feel so bad. Like, no, this is sympathy. It's deep. And they can sympathize with our weakness but who in every respect, say every respect. every respect. How much is every respect? He experienced all human emotions. I mean, think about Jesus' experience of betrayal. That alone wrecks you, doesn't it? And, and we don't have the time to go through and, and pass the microphone, but you want to like, share betrayal stories? What that does to a, a person? And then to realize that you have somebody who's with you, say, in that one alone? We have other negative experiences where, where um, we've experienced somebody else's humanity. Or worse yet, we're admitting the fact that our humanity jumped out of our bones and affected somebody else. And in those moments, we have one who sympathizes with our weakness. One who in every respect was tempted as we are, but yet was without sin. I'm listening to a, a podcast right now. It's about uh, a charismatic leader charismatic in personality who really took his people in a really wrong direction and took him in the wrong direction 
and they were willing to go. And you hear some of the stories in retrospect going, wow, how did people believe that theology? Or wow, how did they, how did they go down that road? And the reason that they went down that road and what's coming back around is because he was so certain about his leadership that he could look you in the eye and say, God is saying this for your life and you need to do X. And people were so hungry for leadership in this, in this moment that even though they might have disagreed with some of the stuff, they're like, well, if he's saying it, it's in the Bible probably somewhere. And, and there's tons of people that are following him, so I probably should do X. Are you following me? And when we read this, there's something different about Jesus being with us. Okay? That, that he is with us having experienced all these things, but there's this really key part that he did these things and was perfect. And he has strong leadership for our lives that's dependable. There are, there are leaders that come in and out of our life and our world, whether it's in a small setting, in an office setting, in a friendship setting, or in a greater church setting, or whatever, that might have strong leadership, but I guarantee you they are not perfect. And the perfection of Jesus and the word of God that he gives us to keep us on track and to, to remind us that he's with us, but he's different than us. He's with us in understanding, but he's different with us than that he is totally victorious. And the with us part is he's tempted as we are, yet he's without sin. And here's what we do as a result in response to his Emmanuel. Hear this, please. If you hear anything this morning, hear this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Draw near with confidence. I think that, um, that sometimes we can try to draw near to God with, with shame, with guilt. But, but the author of Hebrews says, I mean, we draw near him with confidence. And this is what I mean. I mean that... that the, the tempt and the trick of the enemy is to make you feel so horrible about the sins that you've committed. And by the way, I'm not letting you off the hook for the sins that you commit. This isn't the message, right? That we willfully make choices to disobey God. We do that. And that's on us. That's, the, that's on us. But what we do... Wow, that was a big spit. Sorry. What, what we do... What we do as a result of that is really the, the difference. And what, what I mean by it is this. When we choose to, to willfully... Uh, you could pick your like, you know, sort of church sins, stuff that we, you know, we think, oh, it's not that bad because we're Christians. So let's just say we choose to just like gossip, right? I mean, we're just like, Ugh. and as we're doing it about somebody, we're justifying it and whatever else. But we know, I mean, that Holy Spirit in the gut thing is just like tearing you up. And you know, I've got to turn the nozzle off. I can't keep talking about this person. And what we, what we choose to do with that is what's important. And in those moments, and we could pick a, a number of them, whether it's impure thoughts that come into our mind or impure things that, that we are prone to do, whatever else. In the moment, we go, oh, Jesus, you sympathize with this. You were tempted in every way, but you didn't sin. So with confidence, come into this moment right now. I don't have to wait till after it's done and I wreaked havoc on a bunch of people or a bunch of things and then come, come to you. I can invite you, Emmanuel, God, with us into the midst of my darkness and my junk. Do you hear me? Yes. Like, right in the middle of it. That is not the time to like hide from God and go, okay, uh, I'm in the middle of doing something bad. I don't want you to see this. He already sees. Right? He knows. And he loves you. And he sympathizes with your weakness. And he doesn't let you off the hook for the dumb thing that you're doing. But he offers you opportunity to come. This is the good news. 
He offers you in that moment acceptance and love. And I know you and I know this isn't you to the core. And to be able to invite him in in that moment changes the tide of the way we think and the way we act. It's huge. Emmanuel, God with us is not just a Christmas song. Emmanuel, God with us is huge. It's big stuff. So we draw near with confidence. And finally, the last thing, and, and, um, and this is the distinction of Jesus. So he is Jesus, who he is, and the name that was prophesied in his purpose, his destiny, built into his Hebrew name, Emmanuel. And then the final is, is his title, which is Christ. Um, if you look at Luke chapter 2.11, you can turn there if you want, but it says it right here. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The word Christ means anointed. Um, it, it's, it's the equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah, right? So this is who he is. The, the anointed one, the one who, who God had ordained to save mankind from the sins of the world. And the, um, the people, as, as you have heard many, many times, the people of God... <laughs> We're looking for their Messiah. They were looking for their Messiah uh, 700 years before and even before that. They were anxiously awaiting him to come in and fix the messes of the world, especially specifically in the Hebrew nation. And they were looking for the one who would rise up as the political leader to fix the mess, right? Much like many of us look today in our situation. But what he was doing was so much greater, and that's where we come back to the genealogy. He was saying, like, all the messed up people in the world, I'm coming to redeem you and to deliver you from the, the consequences of your sin. Again, preaching to the choir, but things that we need to be reminded of. One of my favorite um, passages, and I remember I said Isaiah says a lot about Jesus, is what the ministry of this anointed one was, what the Savior came to do. And this ties into Exodus. And so hear these words and maybe even hear them prophetically over your own soul. Or maybe even hear them as God's promise and what he longs to do for the people on your list, right? The people who are scandalous. The people who are far from God. The people who are maybe even far from you. But God's giving you a heart to see them drawn near to his presence. Isaiah chapter 61 um, specifically says this. That the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Consider that word anointed, right? That's where you get the tie in to who Christ is, the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one of God. But listen to his ministry. It can't be read enough. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, Hint, hint, Exodus, right? To open prison, to o- the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Man, I love that passage. Do you know what I love about that passage is it's a promise that when I, when I see in my own life areas of brokenness that I know Jesus wants to mend them. When I see in my own life areas of darkness and despair, I know that he wants to bring light into that. When I see areas of, of brokenheartedness and captivity, I know he wants to mend and bring freedom. 
And if I know that in my own life, then I know that he wants to do that for the people that are around me and into the world that is so broken. Here's a, just jump down and, and I'm coming to an end. You jump down to Colossians chapter 1 and 26. One of the things that really was highlighted to me, and I've seen it before in scripture, but it really just was highlighted this Christmas time, is in John chapter 8, Jesus calls himself the light of the world, right? He says, I'm, I'm the light of the world. In Matthew chapter 5, he says of his church or his followers or those in, that are entering into his kingdom, that, that what? You are the light of the world. So, so you have Jesus who says, I'm the light of the world. And then he's saying of us that we are the light of the world. And so when I, when I read that, I think through the lines that I'm going on this sermon is that uh, everything that we read about Jesus, the things that are, are about his character, that he is passing those things on to us, that he shines through us, right? And so where I get that tied together is from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 26. The mystery hidden for all ages. That mystery was this Messiah that was talked about so much, but hadn't yet to come. The mystery that was hidden um, for, for, for ages and generations is now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Part of this mystery is that it's for all mankind, not just the Jewish people. But this is the point. I love this statement. And here's the mystery. If Aaron was up here, I'd be like, come on, Aaron. The mystery is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ around you, not Christ over you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might Present everyone mature in Christ. So the good news is Christ came to free you of your captivity. And every single one of us have it in certain areas of our life. Because we're born into a captive situation in the fall of the world. He came to free you of that. But Christ in you is the message of hope to liberate those that are captive. So just as he sympathizes with you, you sympathize with others. But you have the answer. Even though you're not without sin, the one who's without sin is in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's crazy. You should be like, yeah. You should push the button and all the, tick, all the stuff falls, the confetti. Like, yeah. Don't underestimate the good news of the gospel. I'll say it over and over again. I, I, I've, heard, um, I've heard people say that like a pastor really only has one sermon. It just diff, comes out in different ways every Sunday. And, I don't mind that, actually. I would hope that, that my sermon would be this, really. That the gospel would never lose its wonder. And that it's Christmas time is where, where we come back to a point of focus to discover, oh my gosh, maybe I've drifted from the wonder of the gospel in my own life. Maybe I've fallen captive to, to things that Jesus has already set me free of. Maybe I've become self-absorbed and I've missed the world that's around me. What a trap, isn't it? What a trap to insulate, isolate, to get self-protective and miss out on the opportunity to, to let Christ, the hope of glory, shine through each and every one of our lives. And I'm not saying this like in a, in a condemning way towards you. I'm saying it in a way of challenge towards me and towards you and towards us. Christ in us is the hope 
of glory. The hope of glory. He is the light of the world, and we are his church. We are the light of the world. And, you know, as Paul said it in Colossians, it's like this is why he's saying, this is why we're working so hard to proclaim this message, to see maturity come about. And aren't you glad and aren't you at the same time frustrated sometimes that God never stops the process of maturing you? It's this mixed bag, isn't it? Like, okay, enough, mature already, but you're not, but I'm not. And he's constantly, through his love and his mercy and his grace, unpacking things that we have hidden away and peeling away the layers of the onion to go, oh, there's more in there. And, I, and with my love, I'm coming to you in this area. Why? Not just so you're a better person. Not just so you're a happy person. Not just so you're a wealthy person. Not just so whatever. But he loves you. He loves you. And how many times have you heard this in church? He loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And the definition of that wonderful plan is not the same as your definition. In fact, his is much different than yours. But his is the one that you want to yield to because he's God and he's a father and he gets it. And so every twist, every turn, every disappointment, every hardship, even the times when Paul said, hey, I'm, I'm suffering, but I'm digging it. <laughs> like, right? That's what you, you read. I'm, I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel, but it's good because my eyes are in a different place. My hope is in a different place. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so that's, um, that's it for me this morning. I want to pray over you, but I want to pray that, uh, that the, the gift of the gospel would be rediscovered in your life on the day after Christmas. Hopefully you, you opened some cool stuff yesterday, even you adults that are in the room. I got, I got, I got these Apple um, Air, AirPods. Sick. Like, I mean, the whole world now is just, like, it's got, a, it's got background music to it. And they have, like, a transparency feature on there, so I can listen to my music and listen to people all at the same time. Great gift. My wife got it for me. It's here for Rochelle. Good job. No, but so, I'm just saying, even as an adult, I, I got a really cool gift, you know? And, and, and you, hopefully, got some really cool gifts. And kids, hopefully, you got some really great things. And the, the, the joy of getting those things is to step back and go, okay, remember, we're at church on the day after Christmas to remember that the same excitement, the same wonder that we tear those packages apart and go, wow, this thing is amazing. It has transparency. And it but in the same way that we tear open the gospel every year and every day of our life, every time we open up God's word and go, wow, it's even more amazing than I thought. And, 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 and I don't want to hype you up like some kind of cheerleader getting you to cheer, but I want to inspire you that whatever you think about the gospel, there's more. Whatever you think about God, there's more. There's more. For the rest of your life, there's more. And what the enemy of your soul wants to do is just dial it, just dial it down, just, just calm down. Just calm. No, crank it up. You need it in this moment, and it's there for you. Come to the waters and drink. The fountain is overflowing. And you know, he doesn't force us, and he doesn't just make us do it, but he invites us, and he invites us to that table. He invites us to that fountain. He invites us to the good news. So why don't we stand together? I'd love to pray over you. I'd love to, to pray a blessing over your life. Lord, as we rediscover, hopefully, as we open up your word, and as I pray we're inspired to... to um, Understand what you've done in redeeming our lives and, and understand what you're doing in, in maturing us. 
so that we can be a light as a church, as individuals. God, I pray that, that the seeds would just fall on good soil to, to just discover again, to open up that gift of the gospel. Just dive in deep to the richness of you, Jesus, the name above all names, the one who is highly exalted, the, the, the anointed one, the one who's with us. One of the things that Isaiah says also is, is some of the characteristics. And these were the characteristics of Jesus that, I, that were prophesied about him that I want to leave with you, and these are awesome. It says of Emmanuel, he'll be Emmanuel, God with us. It says that he will be our wonderful counselor. And just speak wisdom over you in these days that you would find the wonderful counsel of Jesus just brimming over in your life. That he is the Prince of Peace. That you today and throughout the week and throughout the month and throughout the year would just continue to dive back into the peace of God, especially when your world throws fear your way. That you can just proclaim Christ in you, the hope of glory, the peace bringer and the peace giver. And finally, what it says about Jesus, just if there was ever any question about who he really is, that he is the mighty God. And Lord, the mystery of how you can be three in one, we still will we'll try to sort out until we see you face to face, but we accept the fact that you are God, you're a mighty God, that there is nothing too difficult for you, no situation, no circumstance, no person with a scandalous past, no person that we like or don't like that you can't reach with your love because you are wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God. So I bless your people today. I pray they would drink deep of the fountains of fresh living water. And Lord, that they would be nourished on you, Jesus, the bread of life, and that your word truly would be a lamp and a light this day and throughout this coming year. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. God bless you.
Your baby. 